Okay. Now, let me pop open my alcohols. Let me guess. It's a uh, menage a trois uh, bourbon barrel. Damn it. No. Uh, menage a trois sweet red. Fuck. No. Is it menage a trois? <laughs> it is menage a trois. How many ones do they got? It is the Cabernet of Sauvignon. That's what you had last week, right? No, last week was the bourbon oh. barrel. Can you guess what I'm having? Is it an alcoholic mm-hmm. beverage? It can easily Coffee. be made into the one, though. Mm-mm. Hot chocolate. S- tea. Apple cider. Cider. <laughs> I'm glad that was next on eventually. my list. <laughs> Just had to go down all the all of the hot drinks. Ow, ow. I was about to say think fall, but then I was like, let's just say it. <laughs> ah, the lovely Cabernet Sauvignon. I almost put Smells a shot or two chocolatey. of um, Fireball in here, but... You should have. I would have had to climb up on top of the refrigerator and move all of the alcohol and get into the alcohol cabinet where the Fireball is. So worth it actually no hmm. Do I, I did see all? yes i did see at target you can get like a pack of the 30 little mini fireballs for like 20 something dollars oh i know <laughs> oh you know as in you've already gotten it god no oh <laughs> okay i know as in i've seen it Can you bring me the fireball? Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> He's probably annoyed. <laughs> I was going to say that I couldn't tell if that was your dad or your brother. Because mm. Connor no. strangely sounds like your dad now. Yeah. It's weird. He's 5'10. Stop that. I already knew he was taller than you, but now he's taller than me. (laughs) And I'm only, what, an inch or two taller than you? (laughs) You're like four inches taller than me. Oh, am I? I'm only 5'5". I'm 5'7". Why do I keep thinking you're (laughs) 5'9"? I don't know. I feel like we've had this conversation we've before. We've had this conversation. And every time Sheridan, I think that you're 5'9". Well, and actually, I think I'm a little shorter than 5'7", because Sheridan's 5'7", and she's taller than I am. Hmm. So I'm thinking the doctor was wrong when she told me how tall I was. 
don't which know. <coughs> <laughs> you okay <laughs> i'm just you know dying a little it's fine oh it's that's all cool. it's just a little it's you know <sighs> this apple cider is gonna be gone so quickly thank you thanks dad you know, oh that's what okay where it belongs <laughs> ah, shit. That one Look out. at this. Hold on. Hold on. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. It was pretty until that. I know. I was, I was questioning whether I should get it. But. I have nothing that could simulate a Ouija board. Good. So. That's always a plus. I'm hoping that that having a shot glass with a planchette on it isn't bad. What is that? Is there a tulip trying to get in or? Tulip. Oh fuck. I haven't had fireball in so long that I had a, a visceral reaction. <laughs> we have some in the fridge. Freezer, not fridge. What's the point of keeping it in the fridge? It's hot. Because it makes it smoother going down when your throat is itchy. So I might actually have to take some tonight. What? No, it's better to go down hot. It makes it smoother to go down. It, no, it's smoother when it's hot. You put it in nope. like a tea. You know, like you do with whis regular whiskey. Oh no, I just drink it straight. Like a hot toddy. I just drink it straight. <sighs> no. And it tastes really good cold. <gasps> It unfurled. I put a cinnamon stick in there. Yay! Yes. If you don't know who we are, what are you doing here? Why? I mean, thank you for coming, but <laughs> what are you doing here? We don't mean to alienate you or make you feel called out. Um, welcome. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this. It's mixed. It's welcome. Bitch, I can't talk. <laughs> we are bitch and bitch fortune. Bitch and bitch fortune. I love it. I love it. We, we've had a lot of bitch in our title recently. We really have. And, you know, it's not really a word that I even genuinely <laughs> like. Use that often. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah. You know, you know what I say? I feel like I say it a lot for somebody who, who doesn't really like it. So, Rachel. Yeah. Where are we today, Rachel? Where have you taken us in this forsaken world? To the forsaken ends of the world. No, we are in... Allagash? Allagash? I assume it's Allagash. I thought it was Allagash. So, we are in Allagash. What state are we in? Maine. Maine. <laughs> I hope we're in Maine, because if not, I'm <laughs> fucked. <laughs> well, I was trying to find my um, Word document. It mm. just it said no. Okay. My sources are www.main.gov. And that's it. Got it. <laughs> that is it. Um, because the Wikipedia page gave me nothing worth using. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. 
So there's not really a whole lot of information regarding the early natives at the time, but this source does mention that the early Paleo-Indians settled here almost right after the Ice Age. Oh, wow. And they lived in small groups and were constantly mobile. So mobile that they began moving out of the region in roughly the 1800s. Okay. Just gone. They're like, you know what, this is a good time to fucking leave. Leave, right. Not long after the natives had just up and left. Are you sure the they first left? Settlers... Left? Yes. Okay. They left left. Okay. Because there were n- no natives there when the settlers known as George... Moir? Moir? M-O-I-R. I assume it's Moir, like noir. Moir. And uh, Lucinda Diamond arrived in 1837. Hmm. So, good 30-something years without natives. Sad, but they had their reasons. They established, established, because I can't speak, the Moir farm, and in fact, many of the Diamond families still populate the small town today. Hmm. You know what they say about small town money. Yes. I have no idea. I just Dude. Made that up. I don't even know that they're rich. The, uh, okay, I'll tell you after this. Okay. <laughs> um, about the same time, sawmills began to pop up in neighboring villages, and guess where a lot of lumber was? The forest. Yes, the <laughs> forest in Allagash. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> In 1846, Churchill Dam was constructed in order to raise the water levels in Eagle Lake and Churchill Lake so that the logs could more easily flow downstream to the east branch of the Penobscot River. Penobscot? I think it's funny that they have a Churchill Dam Churchill. and we have a Churchill yeah. Downs. Yeah. I-, I thought that too. There's a correlation I- later too. I'm sh- oh, is there? There is. Nice. Okay. The dam, of course, had to be reconstructed in 1925 due to deterioration, then again in 1997 for the same reason. Hmm. Allagash is very known for their waterways, um, which I just said the lumber was transported down. While this was one of the main purposes for the waterways, many actually began to use this for recreational sports in the 1930s. In fact, you can still do a lot of those same sports, um, hiking, camping, canoeing, fishing, hunting. Thank God you didn't say water polo. (laughs) Yes, we are going to play water polo. How do you even play it? Marco! Is that it? No. And that is the history, short and sweet, and like I told you last night, it's a really small town. I am so sorry. (laughs) I mean, we find what we can find. Yes, and speaking of small towns, the small town we visited this weekend. Oh, yes! Oh my god, I can't believe you didn't say anything about this earlier. Because I forgot. Look, I had a full day of work. Yeah. (laughs) so cultish just amazing and i'm not going to mention the name of the town because the actually the town is actually nice like in town but it was the outskirts you like you got to historic part of the town and i actually found out that the um 
that the man who founded the town his yes. great granddaughter is still there and is apparently the main historian like the town historian oh really apparently i don't know if that's current but when you it's told me possible. about this town i had to google it because it's possible i was like that sounds a little culty and then i found out that but the premise was they were finding the town in order to prepare for the second coming of Jesus. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> Which sounds very culty. So, yeah. Oh, I actually found out that um, black people weren't allowed in that town. Unless Currently? they were servants. Yeah. No wonder it failed. Well, well, yeah. Well, they say it's different now, and it's more of like an artist haven, and... Um, it like is. That, they, so. I'll have to send you a pic. Did I send you a picture of my bag? No. That I got? I'll have to send you a picture. It's got a goat with a jetpack backpack on. Was it, was it like a, like a town town? Was it like a one street town? Um, no, it's like a town town, but Main Street is where, um, like a lot goes on. So I guess you could consider it a one street town. But there's, like, surrounding neighborhoods. Mm. It's just that one section, that one little part of the neighborhood. That was super creepy. That was super creepy. Like, did I tell you that a lady started following us? Yes. Yes. And, I was like, and then, she, then she didn't stop until we got to the museum doors. And then she just turned around. And I was like, um, we might your, be dying She soon. might have just been ask, gonna ask she, I, but then wouldn't she have stopped and actually asked and not just turned around and walked away? I guess, yeah. And she was, like, fast walking, like, arms and everything. I don't... She, so and, she, of course, so she, she also still you. couldn't keep up with us because we are fast walkers. Yeah. But So she followed you to the museum... And what did she mm-hmm. do then? She just turned around and walked the opposite way? Turned around and walked walked back? Where did she think you all were going? When did you notice that she was following you? Um, when we turned the corner to go to the museum. Because hmm. the museum is at the end of the long street. So we walked around the corner. <laughs> and I saw her out of the corner of my eye and I looked back and I was like, Oh God, she's following us. And on top of that, she was wearing one of those, I don't want to say culty dresses, but, like, I could definitely see a whole bunch of, like, cult members wearing what she was wearing. Maybe she's just deeply religious. Well, it wasn't a religious dress. It wasn't religious garb. It was just Was it a her long, outfit. plain dress? Yeah. But it was, it was like a floral plain. Mm-hmm. Oh, so she's you know just, I mean? like, country. Very. Country, but not country, because there's, like, no country there. Unless you go outside the city. Maybe she just came into town to get some stuff. Okay, dokie doke. So now that we are done with history and jabbing again, what is your story? It's depressing. Oh, no. Don't tell me that. Okay, my story is about Amy Terrio, and okay. before I get into it, 
I feel like I should let listeners know there is mention of domestic abuse in the story, and it's triggering oh. for some people, so I would yeah. skip ahead to Rachel's story, um, if that pertains Please to you. Do. I don't know how long it's going to be to say this. Maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30. Who knows? We'll see. Just fast forward until you hear me talking about the fact that I wanted to do Carmel, Maine this week. There you go. <laughs> Um, my sources are multiple fiddlehead focus articles by Jessica Patilla. Patilla? Patilla. Sure. Uh, victims of homicide.fandom.com. I don't know why there's a fandom for victims of homicide. But, but, um, it was just compiled, like a compilation of, like, they had a timeline. Everything. Of all yeah. of the news articles that came out about this yeah. case. Uh, a The County article, also by Jessica Patilla. 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 A WAGMTV article by... Oh, actually, two uh, WAGMTV articles by Katie Zarilli. BangerDailyNews.com and a Daily, Ma- a Daily Mail article by Joshua Gardner. Okay. So... There. Amy Terrio, 31, was a nurse's aide at Forest Hill Rehab and Skilled Nursing Center and a devoted mother of two, um, Ricky to Ricky and Taylor. No. Friends described Amy as outgoing, strong-headed, and she loved her girls. She did what needed to be done. She was always there to help, and she loved her job and the residents she worked with. Amy also took a break from work each year to participate in the Fort Kent International Muskie Derby, which I had to look up, which is, this Muskie is the tie. Derby? This is the tie. Just that they have a, a, a derby of sorts. <laughs> Muskie Derby. I had to look it up. Like, I had to Google it, and it took me a while to figure it out. It's just like a fishing competition. Oh. Well, a three-day fishing derby with a fairly large cash prize. Like, the one I found was, like, $10,000 or something. Is there a fish called the muskie? Yeah, that's not the official name. It's just what people call it. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, there are also street dances, fireworks, street vendors, a carnival. Mm-hmm. And a ploy festival? And ploy because, like, festival. Because I didn't ask. Uh, ploy is, like, a pancake, but it's made with buckwheat flour, which changes the texture, I guess. Heck yeah, I want a pancake festival. Yeah, no, Give festival, me all the different types of they, pancakes. They actually have this, like, giant, um, thing. Like, you know, this, a giant, mm. I cannot see what your arms are doing. <laughs> a giant thing. That they Is make a, building? A, a really, really big ploy on. Like, they have men standing all around pouring it on there. Oh, so they can make, uh, like, really the big skillet. one. Okay. Like the world's biggest pizza, world's biggest donut, world's yeah. biggest, biggest cookie. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> All the big foods. Yes. Anyway, Amy would take, uh, always take the weekend off and go get a muskie, try to win that prize. And I don't like fishing, but I can't say that I would pass up the chance to win $10,000 by catching the biggest fish. Right. So. And I don't have the best segue into this, but we get into the shitty part real fast. Mm. Yeah. Okay. May 31st, 2014, Amy's friends, Jamie 
Pelletier and her boyfriend Joshua had stayed the night at Amy's house while the kids were away for the night. Uh, the night before, Amy had broken up with her abusive boyfriend of over a year, Jesse Marquis. Good. Which I feel that, like, you want friends around you when you finally get out of a shitty relationship. Especially in that situation. I can, I can attest, well, yeah. Right, and, like... I was gonna say, I can attest to that, but not the... Right, like, not, not that, that I would personally know. I haven't dated anyone since 2013, and I've never been in an abusive relationship. That's just mainly what I would assume that you would want. Like, if not for emotional support, mm-hmm. then for some feeling of protection, you know? Definitely. Unfortunately, Joshua awoke from sleeping in a recliner in Amy's living room early that morning to find Jesse Marquis running in the house with a knife in his hand. What? Yeah. Hold on, wait, who is Jesse Marquis? Jesse Marquis, that's her ex-boyfriend. Her ex- oh. I don't know how I missed that part. Um, is, is he running with a knife for a reason? Yeah. I apologize, that was my dog. You're fine. Going. Joshua said he told Marquis to leave and lunged at him, at which point Marquis swung the knife in Joshua's direction, causing him to fall back into the recliner. Marquis then ran to Amy's bedroom where she was sleeping. Jamie, her friend, um, Mm -hmm. she said she was sleeping on the living room sofa when he was when when she was awakened by a big thud and a scream. As Jamie went to bed, Amy's bedroom to see what was happening, her boyfriend Joshua pulled her away and told her to call 911. The call was recorded at 5.45 a.m. that morning. While on the phone, Jamie walked back towards the bedroom and described what she saw. She told the 911 operator that Amy was on the floor with Jesse on top of her. She said it looked like he was holding her and hitting her at the same time. Uh... Jamie tried to approach the two, and that's when she saw the gun Jesse had. Oh. He got up and followed Jamie out of the bedroom, pointing the gun at her. He didn't shoot her. Instead, he ran out of the house, and neighbors told police they saw him fleeing into the woods nearby. Once Marquis was out of the house, Jamie ran to Amy and administers, ugh, administered CPR until pad- paramedics arrived and pulled her off. This is super sad. Um, so, paramedic Mike DeMond said that he arrived at the house about 25 minutes after the call came in. When he arrived, he saw Jamie administering CPR and a lot of blood. It didn't take long for him to realize that Amy had passed, and he had to convince Jamie to stop performing CPR. He actually had to fight with her because she didn't want to stop. Like, she just didn't want to give up. And I can't even imagine. Like, she tried to revive her best friend for 25 minutes. It made me so anxious that I started feeling sick when I was reading through all of it. Amy Therio. 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 I keep on wanting to say Therio. Amy Therio died as a result of a gunshot wound and stab wounds to the chest. Two of the knife wounds inflicted were life-threatening. But Dr. Kristen Sweeney, the medical examiner for the state, said it was difficult to determine where many of the knife wounds were because of the severity of damage caused by the gunshot, which she said was a contact wound, meaning the weapon was pressed against her skin when it was fired. Yeah. Sweeney also said that the knife wounds on the palm side of Amy's fingers could be classified as defense wounds. Another thing that's really sad is if none of that was sad enough. Um... 
is that one of the first officers to arrive on the scene was Chris Malmborg, Amy's cousin. He said he received a call from dispatch the morning of Amy's murder, which he thought would be a routine complaint, but instead he said it was the complete opposite and it completely changed his life. He had to gather his emotions together the best he could because he knew he had a job to do until other responders could get there. But he said the worst part was that he had to tell her family, her parents. Yeah. He talked about how he was filled with dread the whole walk down to a roadblock on Route 161, leading up to Amy's home, where he would eventually meet Ricky Terrio, Amy's father. He said that the two didn't even need to say a word, and that he'll never forget the look on her father's face. So, Jesse Marquis, 37 or 38, I believe at the time, fled into the woods. Since Maine is so close to Canada, Maine State Police, Aristook County Sheriff's Office, U.S. Border Patrol, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection were all on the lookout for him. I'm just saying good because... Yeah. I'm, like, tearing up. I know, it's really... It's... it's... Why? <laughs> you pick such emotionally charged stories. I know, I'm sorry. So... The only road in or out of the town was shut down. Turns out, Marquis was also an elementary school bus driver and custodian, so the school where he worked was close to students. Um, what? Close to st- I said close to students. <laughs> I mean, okay. it's a school, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the school was- I assume. Oh, Jesus. The school- it's close to students. The school was closed- to students for a while in case fuck in case he still happened to have a copy of the keys on him and decided to hide out there it was close to students yes children go there that's a thing jesus so so marquis managed to stay on the run for six days until he was finally caught up with when the police used a bloodhound from New Hampshire. The bloodhound led tactical team members to Marquis, who was sitting at the base of a tree with a rifle nearby. The trial for Jesse Marquis began in June of 2016, along with evidence including a series of photographs, charts, and diagrams of the area's geography and the layout of Amy's home and the injuries Amy sustained. The rifle Marquis used along with an empty shale... shale? Shale. <laughs> How southern are we today? Mm. So it happens when you try to say shell and casing at the same time. <laughs> an empty shell casing and a deformed bullet. And an empty gun case, pair of boots recovered from Marquis at the time of his arrest, photos of those footprints tracking blood around the house, and the knife that he used to stab and cut Amy. The jury also heard from Josh and Jamie Pellet- Pelletier. TA, I don't know, as well as the state medical examiner and forensic experts. Like, there was like nothing everyone. in this case that he could be like, no, nah, I didn't do that. <laughs> did, did they test his shoes for blood? Yes. Did I come back positive? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the jury reached a verdict of guilty against Jesse Marquis in the death of Amy Terrio and got life in prison. Mm-hmm. Good. On September 28th, 2017, Amy's story was covered on Kiss of Death, The Hunted, on Investigation Discovery. I'll admit, I didn't get 
to watch this episode because I really didn't have time. Um, yeah. I don't know, I'm not sure I could have handled it. But I read about it in the Fiddlehead Focus article. Um, the episode depicts the relationship between Amy and Jesse Marquis from the beginning that seemed like a fairy tale up until her murder. Up until he turned crazy. He was crazy the whole time. I mean, valid. And I'm not even going to say he was crazy, because... There's a difference between crazy and homicidal. Yeah. Abusive and narcissist. And abusive. Awful. So, um, the show also included interviews with Amy's mother, father, sisters, and brother-in-law. They wanted to spread awareness of domestic abuse, and Barbara said, I also need Barbara, her, her mother... Her mother said, I also need to do something to keep Amy's memory alive and help someone who may be living this type of nightmare. Mm-hmm. She also said, domestic abusers are liked by the public as Jesse was too. The public doesn't know who they really are. And when it happens, you often hear people say, that isn't the person I knew. Mm-hmm. She also said, Amy wasn't the only one who fell for his charms. He was so well-liked that some people asked Amy after she broke up with him why she didn't want to be with such a nice guy. Because he's an asshole. Yeah, but they don't know that. Abusers are so good at hiding that. I know. The show shows how easy it it can be for a woman to become involved in a violent and, and a violent and manipulative relationship and how difficult it can be to leave. The episode yep. shows how in the beginning Marquis seemed like this like, down-to-earth, sensitive, outdoorsy, small-town guy who worked as a bus driver, but by the end of the episode, which shows a reenactment, by the way, of the murder, and is almost too difficult to watch, you see the abusive fuck who he is. One of the reasons I chose this story was because three years after her daughter was murdered, Barbara Terrio and her family members worked with Maine Senator Troy Jackson to introduce a bill that would impose an automatic life sentence for anyone convicted of a domestic violence homicide. Because before his trial even happened, the family learned that a plea deal was available for Marquis, and that's why they started fighting. I was going to say, that's not right. No. The bill originally sought to impose, you know, mandatory life sentence, but lawmakers amended it to allow judges to assign special weight to murders that result from an act of domestic violence during sentences. Sentences. Mm-hmm. I knew during sentences. And Amy's law was officially passed in April of 2018. Good. Among the factors to be given special weight under Amy's law are that the victim is a child who had not, in fact, attained six years of age at the time the crime was committed. The victim is a woman whom the convicted person knew or had reasonable cause to believe to believe to be, in fact, pregnant at the time the crime was committed, and. That the victim is a family member or household member as defined in whatever Title 19A, Section 4002, Subsection 4, who's a victim of domestic violence committed by the convicted person. Amy's parents attended the signing of Amy's Law in June of 2018, and they said they could feel Amy there with them. And, like, this made, really made me teary-eyed when I was writing this, like... Yeah. yeah. Nearly 200 people came together in Fort Kent on Saturday, June 15, 2019, for a walk to remember Amy Terrio, five years after her death, um, sponsored by the Hope and Justice Project. Yeah. Yeah. 
Among those who spoke was Chris Malmborg, Amy's cousin, the one who arrived early on the scene. Uh, he said, domestic violence affects everybody, whether it's your job, whether it's your friends or family. That changed my life forever. Amy was definitely a great person, great mother, great friend. Keep her in your heart yeah. and just know that carrying on the message of domestic violence does not only go for your family who are affected by it, but for all of us. We all hope we can make strides in making this problem disappear. The next day, Barbaterio said, Yesterday was a, ugh, was a tribute to the kind, loving life that Amy led. Her death caused people to listen and take action to prevent it. I believe her death was has probably saved lives because people now know that doing nothing about domestic violence can result in death. Yeah. He added that although domestic violence affects everybody, Amy's children will, uh, Amy's children especially have suffered as a result of Amy's murder. She said Taylor and Ricky will be, will live a lifetime with no mother. That's the greatest yeah. tragedy of all. Yes, it is. And before I say that's the end, uh, there's one more thing that's really gonna make you cry. Are you ready? No. About a month after Amy's death, her sister Carrie told Barbara she found some papers of Amy's. One of those papers was a poem Amy wrote about what it's like to experience domestic violence. Barbara said it was shocking and horrific to read. She said it was like Amy is reaching out, communicating from the grave. Her mother also read the poem in court as part of her victim statement because it showed the mental anguish she experienced before her death. She agreed for it to be shared as it brings awareness to the public. She said Amy was obviously afraid to leave the situation, and she believes Jesse Marquis was controlling Amy through fear of harm to herself and her children. Yep. I can't explain my feelings any better than um, Maine Attorney General Janet T. Mills did. Okay. This is really hard. <laughs> Let me just think about, like... Kittens, puppies, just... ferrets, chickens, baby chickens. <sighs> okay. Um, ducklings going quack 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 quack. Whew. I'll just act like I'm saying something completely different. <laughs> In a report, she wrote, "The powerful and chilling poem by Amy Terrio shines light on her feelings of helplessness and expresses the feeling of shame and responsibility she felt that somehow, by staying with her abuser, she did not fix the." abusive situation. One of the panel's observation is that public perception of a victim's role and responsibility sometimes hinders the victim's ability and willingness to report abuse, to testify, or to leave the relationship. This perception further complicates the prosecution and conviction of perpetrators of abuse because jurors may hold the victim responsible for choices made by the perpetrator. It's never the victim's... the victim... <laughs> It's, Don't victim blame. Yeah, it's never the victim's fault or responsibility to fix the situation. It's the abuser's choice and responsibility to stop the behavior. So, the poem is titled The Consequences, and I really debated whether or not I wanted to read it. And I'm still debating whether I want to read it. It's up to you. Tell me a joke. Why was six afraid of seven? Why? I don't know. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> uh, Made you laugh. Oh, shit. 
Okay. okay. <laughs> Let's just get the cry over. Okay. So. Hey, that's much better than 789. <laughs> okay. So the poem is titled The Consequences, and it reads, Mama was right. I've heard it a hundred times. He's hurt you once. He'll do it again. I did not listen. Now I suffer the consequences. I wish a hundred times I could go back to that night. I cried the next day, for I had a black eye. I should have listened to Mama. Now I suffer the consequences. No, How much longer can this go on? It's all up to you, she's always said. So I finally stand up to him. Now he's put away. I surely... I'm almost done. I'm gonna do it. And I'll tell you a joke when you're done. I have surely suffered the consequences. I should have listened to Mama. For now it is too late. Because I am already dead. And that's it. She really is speaking. She really is reaching out from the grave. Uh, Um, That was completely heartbreaking and... Holy shit. And a moment of silence. Tell me a joke. <laughs> what do you call a Chewbacca when he has chocolate stuck in his hair? Oh, no. A chocolate chip wookie. <laughs> <laughs> thought it was going to be like... Or something. Why didn't the vampire attack Taylor Swift? I don't know. She had bad blood. Wow. <laughs> wow. <sighs> Why don't big cats play poker in the safari? I don't know. Too many cheetahs. <sighs> okay. <laughs> you want one more? One more. I went to the zoo and saw a baguette in a cage. The zookeeper said it was bred in captivity. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. <sighs> I need to save this website. For, for anyone who wants to know the corny jokes that we have been telling to help alleviate some of the wanting to cry is from fatherly.com. Um, yeah. If, um, you or someone you know is dealing with domestic violence, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or chat with an advocate on their website at www.thehotline.org. And both the number and the website will be in the show notes for anyone who needs them, including any other resources I could find between then and now. Um. Yes. And that was... And please send me those that was my story (laughs) sorry a very a very important story to tell um i kind of hate you for it i know i hate myself for it i didn't i didn't think i was going to react the way i did while telling it um yep on to a lighter topic. Yeah, how do you follow shit like that? Fuck. I don't know, maybe I should have gone first. <laughs> okay. Rachel, what is your My... story? Let us know. It's hopefully a lot less depressing than that one. Good. 
my story is the Allagash Abductions. Oh. So based on the title, you would think that it would be... True crime. Yeah. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. My sources are fiddleheadfocus.com. We both Did use, use them. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com and occultworld.com. Also, a YouTube video titled Mainly pun intended, histories and mysteries, the Allagash abduction. Okay. So, as I told you last weekend, mm-hmm. <laughs> I really wanted to go to Carmel, Maine with this story. Yeah, because I was, I was wondering why you changed. House. Because when I started doing the research on this one, and we were going to record it last weekend, I was like, oh shit. This guy has a hundred plus videos. I cannot get through all of this. Anyway, guys, you should definitely check out a YouTube channel called uh, Ghosts of Carmel, Maine. We will be covering that at some point. I'll have to figure it out. That's what I'm going to leave it it at. It's, It's cool. So instead, uh, we are here in Allagash, Maine, doing the story of the Allagash abductions. <laughs> okay. On Friday, August 20th, 1976, four uh, 20-something-year-old art students left Boston, Massachusetts for a canoe and camping trip on the Allagash waterways. As I told you in the history, super popular pastime up there. When the group arrived in the staging area i don't know what a staging area i have no idea what a staging area is with the camping um, no it's not basically when they got to the staging area they hired a pontoon airplane to lift them and their canoes to a spot on the telos lake along the allagash river i have no idea it's a staging area Over the next several days, they enjoyed their canoeing and camping in remote Maine, as I hope we all would because Maine is so pretty and basically anywhere but where we are now is pretty. Mm, Um, I don't know. Uh, The the park? Everything is pretty pretty. in its own ways. Yes. I think you just have severe I don't want to be here syndrome. I do. At the end of the first night, several campers had beached their canoes along the bank of the river, including the four students. When one of them, Chuck Rake, Rack, noticed a red star in the sky. Oh. He commented on it, thinking that it was Mars, because that's generally the only red star in the sky. Mm. However, another camper nearby noted that it was entirely way too early in the season to even see the red planet. Yeah. Have you seen those videos with the sky in, like, California and um, with the fires? Mm-hmm. Pretty freaky. Okay, that's all. But also, it's 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 amazing what the Earth Earth does in general. I'm just really glad that they know they're having a boy. And they're naming him Brian. Or was it Ryan? Ryan, I believe. Ryan. I'm just saying. Um, they could have picked a more fun name than. Bringer of. Calcifer. Death and Destruction is what I was going to say. 
<laughs> but okay. Um, hey, Calcifer. Ash. Sounds like Lucifer. Ooh, Ash. I mean, with the turnout that it's been, that that's not to make light of any of the deaths. I no, just really no, no. I just I'm trying to get over last episode. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Story. Story. Yes. When all eyes were focused on the red star that was up in the sky, suddenly it blinked out of existence. Mm. <laughs> the following Thursday, August 26th. That's my birthday. They, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they reached Eagle Lake where they proceeded to set up camp and decided to go. That wasn't my end. That was my end. What was that? One of the parents. It just sounded really weird. It sounded right up on your microphone almost. (laughs) It did. But it was not. Okay. Uh, They proceeded to go night fishing. Which I I don't... I'm sure it's very beautiful to go night fishing, but I would just be a little concerned about tipping the canoe over and just like going down... I don't know why I imagine them night fishing like, like on a, like they're standing on land, but. Nope. They were in their canoes in I the middle of the lake. I already would not do, especially at night. Um, but I would double not do it in a canoe at night. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that sounded so green eggs and ham. I would not <laughs> go night fishing in a boat. I would not I would go not night fishing in a boat. boat. I would not do it with a goat. <laughs> in order to find their way back, the group made a huge fire because it was so, so dark, obviously. Duh. One, one member said that the fire was roughly 10 feet high. Oh, shit. That's a big fire. That's why I said huge fire. The group began to fish. And after a short time, one of the members, who was the same guy from before, Chuck, Rack, Rake, whatever his name is, had the sudden feeling that they were being watched. Well, you know, they probably wouldn't be able to see you if you had not started a fire. If you hadn't lit that 10-foot fire. You're not supposed to do that when you're night fishing. What are you doing? What's the point? You're just, you're going to scare all the fish away with a light. He turned to the direction that this feeling was coming from and saw a massive bright sphere of colored lights hovering about 200 to 300 feet above the southeastern cove. It was motionless and soundless. Chuck, of course, being the bright guy that he is, (laughs) yelled for the rest of his group to look behind them. Oh my god. Hey, guys, have a look at this! (laughs) (laughs) As the group's eyes began to adjust to the brightness of the unknown object, they noted several pathways of energy that were flowing up and down and side to side on the object. And this, according to them, divided the spherical object into four almost separate quadrants of light. Apparently, the color changes seemed almost plasma-like. That it was almost liquid in movement. Like a lava lamp? Like a lava lamp. Great. I can't word. Lava lamp orb. 
It's it's a lava lamp orb, yes. Another member of the group, Charlie Foles, 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 grabbed a flashlight and blinked it on and off towards the object, mimicking an SOS pattern. At the same time, a tube-shaped beam of light burst from the underside of the object and hit the water. The object, its light beam, sorry, the object and its light beam then began moving towards the canoes. Oh, no. Bad idea to signal SOS. Terrified, the group began paddling like crazy towards their bonfire and camp. And this is when the conscious memory of the four in the group began to differ. Wait, there were four of them, right? Yes, there were four. Okay, interesting. Yes, there were four. The next thing that one of the members, Charlie, remembered was that he was paddling desperately to the shore and then standing at the campsite with the others watching the object move away. Chuck... The wise guy who was like, hey, look, guys, there's a light. (laughs) Remember staying in the canoe after all the others had gotten out of the canoes and back onto the shore. He was still holding his paddle and he could not take his eyes off of the retreating object. Mm. So transfixed. Yeah. The twins, Jack and Jim Wiener. (laughs) Sorry. Like Gretchen Wiener. (laughs) Yeah, that wiener. Remembered quite a bit more of the terrifying chase. According to them, the object was right behind them. And it seemed that they were were not able to outrun it, that they wouldn't be able to outrun it. And... Jack remembered thinking, holy shit, this is it, we'll never get away... And the next thing they knew, they were on the shore getting out of the canoe and looking directly at it. The object then just sat there, seemingly on that beam of light, about 20 to 30 feet above the water. It was there for, give or take, five minutes before pointing that beam to the sky and then shooting up and disappearing. Oh, what? So it, like, hypnotized them? And then... Kind of. Kind of. Um, According to the group, the object left in a step-like motion. It would implode into nothing, then reappear just a little bit further in the sky, and then it would just repeat this before they could no longer see it. Oh, that... Okay. That's weird. Yeah, fun. So, in a haze, all four of the group members walked back to the campsite not even realizing what had happened to their fire. The huge fire that was meant to last about two to three hours was suddenly only coals. <gasps> Red hot coals. After only about 20 minutes. Yeah. And this this did puzzle them for several years. That is until... Poor Jim... He suffered a pretty bad head injury, oh. which caused uh, temporolimbic epilepsy. Mm. And during his treatment, he began to have hellish nightmares about he and his old buddies from the camping trip mm. being naked <gasps> in a strange place oh. with bug-eyed humanoids around him. 
I appreciate you being so into this, <laughs> even though I'd be like, oh, really? I'm like, um, that, yeah. Yeah. He even sometimes would awake at night to see strange creatures surrounding him in bed. Oh, God, that's terrifying. Uh-uh. He would sometimes feel as if he were levitating, and other times he would be overcome with paralysis. <laughs> but... He felt for sure that something was being done to his genital region. They always do. <laughs> it's the probing. When his doctor noticed that he was overtired and inquired as to why, Jim initially refused to tell him. However, when told that it was affecting his medical treatment, he confessed everything that had been happening to him and even about the missing time during the camping trip from so long ago. Mm. I don't know why he went quite so far back, but, you know, just for the heck of it. His doctor was actually familiar with the abduction phenomena and told him to contact a UFO researcher. (laughs) I don't know many doctors who would Right, I find it hard to believe that a doctor would tell someone... I think you've been abducted by aliens. You should speak to Mufon. You should go under hypnosis, re- uh, regression hypnosis, just to see. Just to see. I really know that head injury really messed you up. I think you should speak right. to a therapist. <laughs> no, my favorite. You just need to lose weight. These hallucinations oh are gonna God. go away. Oh my God. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, you know, that wouldn't happen if you just lost weight. If you just lost, you know, one or two pounds, it would just, you know, it would just all go away. It would not even exist anymore. You'd, you'd be surprised, <laughs> but, like, just some exercise, like, those endorphins will do for you. Just a little bit of cardio, maybe eat a few more vegetables, you know, less grains. <laughs> stop eating so much sugar, you know. No more chocolate. I know they say it's good for you if it's dark, but I promise. (laughs) Anyway, most doctors will 100% just write you off as delusional and not send you to a UFO expert. For real. (laughs) However, Jim was still reluctant to do so. (laughs) Even though his doctor straight up said, yo, go to a UFO specialist. Until his doctor called him and convinced him to attend a lecture by Ray Fowler, um, who was a member of MUFON, mm-hmm. and tell him about his experience. Things must have gone well at the lecture because in January of 1989, Fowler initiated a formal investigation with MUFON specialists and uh, physicist David Webb. And a hypnosis consultant, Anthony oh. Castanatino. I haven't. Constantino? I have an issue with hypnotherapy. Yeah. I feel like it's. Explain. It, I, and I may be totally wrong. I'm not a therapist, obviously. <laughs> but I feel <laughs> like it's very easy to influence people. By saying yeah. one thing or another, whether or not you're intentionally doing so. Mm-hmm. So I think by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, it's automatically, I was anal probed by aliens. 
As opposed to well, like, uh, I just, you know, blacked out. It was a weird night. I would be curious to know how all of this went down. Like this, Mr. Fowler apparently wrote a book on it. I did not get a chance to read it. But it apparently does go like kind of in depth about what happened and all that and the hypnosis and all that fun stuff. Mm, I'd be interested to read that too. Cause yeah. Gotcha. I'm just, I'm curious what each party could have said. Yeah. Were okay. Like you said, if they could have led them on to Did were the others included in this? Did they all just forget about Okay, okay. <laughs> Wait. The investigation period was over two years on this case, and the investigators were meticulous. They um ba ba ba. <laughs> all four That's what it that sounded like to me. <laughs> That's my little, my spritzer. Okay. All four men completed and signed MUFON UFO sighting forms. They were interrogated. Is that the right word? Interrogated? (laughs) Interrogated. Thank you. (laughs) They were, yes. Though they were strongly interviewed. (laughs) Strongly. They were interrogated. They they were interrogated, uh, their stories cross-checked for consistency, and a character check was even performed in order to check their credibilities. I'm genuinely surprised that they all agreed to speak about this incident. Yep. Um, along with this, they checked their medical records as well as the camping diaries and photographs from the time. During the first segment of the series of hypnosis sessions... It was decided that the investigation would focus on the segment of time between seeing the object and arriving back to the land, since this is when the amnesia apparently set in. Under hypnosis, they all relived a very traumatic UFO abduction. (laughs) The group was apparently lifted from their canoes and transported in the tube-like beam of light onto the UFO. Once on board, the group encountered strange humanoid beings that had a sort of mind control power over them so so that their demands couldn't be resisted. Okay. The men were then made to take their clothes off and sit on a bench in a misty area surrounded by dimmed, diffused lights. Okay. Nice romantic setting there. (laughs) The beings then examined the men looking in their eyes and mouth with a pencil-sized rod with a light at the end. Just making me think of Men in Black. Okay. They placed the men in a harness and flexed their arms and legs and were then, one by one, made to lie on a table where they were examined by many other strange machines. The beings took samples of their blood, saliva, feces, urine, sperm, and skin scrapings. After they were done examining the men, they then dressed and were taken to another room with a round portal in one of the walls. They were lined up and made to walk through the portal, where they found themselves being floated back down the light beam to their canoes. Okay. 
The beam of light seemingly held the canoe still as each person was placed in and very gently seated in the same position that they were in when they were abducted. Okay. How you feel about all that? <laughs> there is a lot of controversy about, um, like, recovered memories and mm-hmm. about hypnosis because hypnosis does not work on everyone. Yep. And... I, so I don't know how I, I, I feel about that. Um, well, if it makes you feel any better, apparently this was... All four of them had this experience. They all said it under hypno-whatever. Yeah. I mean, it really doesn't make you feel any better, but yeah. It doesn't, because I think that... And they genuinely could have had an experience... And I've got some notes about that, too. But. Yeah. Also, while under hypnosis, it was discovered that the twins, Jim and Jack, had f- had had frequent nighttime visitations from the same beings since early childhood, as well as being abducted several times in their adult lives. Okay. So they had These a abductions. Okay. Oh, yeah. These two had a history, apparently. These abductions actually even left physical evidence on the twins. There were burn marks on the bottom of Jack's feet. And he also had a biopsy-like scoop mark. I just keep picturing the little Nike swoosh. Mm-hmm. Um, appear above his ankle after one of his adult abductions. Which was considered weird because this mark was left above a scar that resulted from the removal of an anomalous lump that just appeared overnight. Oh. Chip implants. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of chip implants, have you seen that TikTok? Um, that couple on TikTok no. that had that put chips inside their hands um, uh-huh. so they could use it to open stuff in their home. Like they've got like. I think they must be, like, RFID readers, or I don't know. I don't know how that shit works. Where they just put their hand up to something, and they're able to open, like, a cabinet. I I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that. Jack's normal doctor thought that this was a cyst, but was unable to drain it. So, he sent Jack to a specialist who removed the lump. Jack was then told that the local pathologists were not sure what it was, so that it was sent to the Center of Disease Control in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. Good old Georgia. Georgia R. <laughs> Martin. Got it. Game of Thrones. That's what's going on. Yes. It's not aliens, However, it's White Walkers. I don't know. It... Oof. However, when his medical records were checked during the investigation, they discovered that whatever had been removed from his ankle had been sent to military pathologists in Washington, D.C., where it was apparently analyzed by a U.S. Air Force colonel. When questioned about this, the surgeon would not cooperate. So, I mean, patient-doctor confidentiality, so, yeah. Along with all of the other official inquiries made surrounding the men, family, and friends who were told of of their experience were also interviewed. Apparently, the 
head forest ranger who supervised all matters on the Allagash waterways, remembered this particular day. Why? Because he reported what he saw to the active Dow Air Force Base located in <gasps> Bangor, Maine. Oh, shit, you should have led with that. It would have been a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't go into detail what he saw. Oh. Just said that he reported what he saw. Okay. During the investigation, profile tests were administered as well as polygraph tests, which we know those can be manipulated. Anyway, all of which indicated that the four men were honest and telling the truth about their experiences. The investigation led Ray Fowler, MUFON yeah. guy, to write a book titled The Allagash Abductions, which, as I said, I did not read. Yeah. As a result, the four men received a ton of media attention, including a spot on the Joan Rivers show. Oh, shit. And an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Oh. Did you watch it? Both of which... Oh. Both of which I did not watch, but I need to watch. The group tried to stick it out in an attempt to make some money from their experience. However, they made very little and inevitably had a falling out. As always, there are skeptics who believe that these were just nightmares concocted by the men as a result of watching movies and TV shows about aliens. As you said. I didn't say that. <laughs> you didn't say that specifically, but you said... But, so... Hoax. I just... The whole thing about, like, the, um... Them recovering memories through hypnosis, to me, yes. is... Because there was a thing, um... A while, like, a long time ago, people thought that, like, we stored memories in our brains. But more recently, it's, like... They don't really think that as much anymore. Because well, we also store nightmares in our brains by that logic. Right. And then, like, more recently, peop- like, professionals think that the memory's a lot more fallible than we think it is. The brain is very easily persuaded. Yes. Yes. I've got many false memories. I have many memories that I don't necessarily remember but have been placed in my head by cousins. So skepticism was even further thought to be more accurate when Chuck Rack, Rake, whatever the hell his name is, <laughs> Chuck, <laughs> came out and said that none of it was true. Okay. Yes, they saw some lights and a weird object, but the abductions didn't play, didn't take place. I wonder if that's like, was that that was obviously after they're falling out, right? Mm-hmm. He claimed the group had been a little high when they were out on the lake, which could explain the loss of time in all honesty. He even said that the fire they made was not as big as the group made it out to be and that all of the wood they used would have been a quick burning wood. Uh, I do think it is really interesting, though, about, like, the four lights. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say earlier, like, the idea of, like, the four separate lights and them being there being four of them and about energies four quadrants, yeah. and like how maybe it represented their four energies but i mean if you said Ooh. it's a hoax but this also happened after the falling out yeah. like you said yeah according to the other three chuck wanted to capitalize on the abduction by showing controversy ah however they still wholeheartedly believe that what they experienced actually happened and 
they believe absolutely everything that they discover through regressive hypnosis is true. I know you have very strong feelings about that. I do. But I too have very strong feelings because like you said, it's very fallible. But But if it is that true, is... that's a very interesting story, especially with like I don't know all the attention of... to yeah. detail. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. So that is the Allagash abduction. There is nothing else other than that because no one went into detail beyond that. That's okay. I like that. I, I'm very interested, like, if they made it up. That's really inter- interesting storytelling with, like, their imagery. How, spe- how specific they were just in the light. Light. Yeah, and the way that, that it moved. That, that too. But I was talking more of the pencil yeah, that too. length light that they used to look in the eyes and the mouth. and Because this was 1976. Oh, okay. While that type of light might not seem weird. Just... During that time, their flashlights thinking... were large. Yeah. that I think that's kind of what I'm going on is that their flashlights were huge. How are they going to think of this little pencil-sized flashlight? I don't know, but to be fair, we also weren't alive during that time, so I can't really... Re- I, I don't remember any of the media that was out during that time, so I don't know if there was anything similar. 76. 76. When did E.T. come out? Ooh, smart. Smart. Probably like 80s. Fuck. I feel like I should know this. <laughs> hey, Google. When did E.T. come out? Yep. 82. Well. After this. Well, I am stumped as to... When did their story become public? Oh. I guess I didn't write an actual year. No. That's fine. (laughs) It could have been in the 80s since this happened in 1976. Who knows? That's still an interesting story, though. Yeah. It's very interesting. Oh. Okay. One more joke for the road. Hold on. Oh, yes. What do Kermit the Frog and Attila the Hun have in common? I don't know. They both have the same middle name. (sighs) (laughs) This website is going to be the death of me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to MythsandMisfortunes at gmail.com. Also, please check out our website, MythsandMisfortunes.com. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below, along with all of the other things we said we would include <laughs> yes along with uh <laughs> resources for um domestic abuse and please oh yeah me i uh, yes that's, Rain. that's my, my thing <laughs> we, we implore, implore you, you. <laughs> please
rate, rate, review, review, subscribe. subscribe. You're supposed to say it at the same time as me. What are you doing? And thank you. And goodbye. So much for listening. Bye bye. Bye.